3: And yes, we do, live from the NASDAQ market side, overlooking the world-famous New York's Times Square. This is the world-famous Fast Money. Hi, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. And for Melissa Lee and your traders on the desk tonight are Brian Kelly, Mark Tepper, Karen Feineman, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the man who moves markets. Mm. If you markets, Marco Kolonovic says there is a, quote, extraordinary opportunity in the market right now. And he's going to tell you where it is straight ahead. Plus, the great divergence... Why oil stocks are going down while oil prices are going up? Could this be the one group you must invest in next year? And a New Year's resolution for Potbelly CFO, while the sandwich chain lost more than just 6% today. So there is a lot to do, and we will get to it all. But let us begin now with the Federal Reserve. As expected, no change in rates in the final meeting of both the year and the final meeting, guys, of the decade. Come on. But that's all in the past, guys. What should we expect in the future, in the new year? A rate cut, a rate hike. Steve Leishman was there. He was asking questions at the press conference. And he joins us now with more. Good evening, Steve.
4: Sully, thanks. Uh, The Federal Reserve ended a momentous year for monetary policy by launching what it indicated was a new regime. One where policy is likely to remain on hold for what could be at least several months. The move to neutral follows three successive rate cuts that began in August and a reversal of plans to hike earlier this year. Now, in the policy statement following the December meeting, the Fed called its current stance of policy appropriate. The Fed's overnight lending rate now is standing at a range of one and a half to one and three quarters percent, and Fed Chair Jerome Powell saying that could be the case for a while to come.
3: We believe that the current stance of monetary policy will support sustained growth, a strong labor market, and inflation near our symmetric 2% objective. As long as incoming information about the economy remains broadly consistent with this outlook, the current stance of monetary policy likely will remain appropriate.
4: The statement said the Fed is monitoring global developments. That means it has its eye on the trade war and on foreign economic weakness in both China and Europe. While the chairman didn't rule out future rate cuts, he suggested the bar for hiking is high, as in high inflation. Powell said policy, not on a preset course, but one sign rates could be on hold for a while. 13 of the 17 members of the Fed forecast. No change in rates for next year, Brian. So you tell me, is that risk on or risk off?
3: Well, I can't, but I know our traders can. I I want to ask you one more question, though, Steve, because we do get a change. Next year I mean you got some voting members out, you got some new voting members in because they rotate every year. How you all you know all the personalities. How much change or dissent or debate do you think that's going to bring with it in the new year? You know, what's interesting
4: this year we found Brian is that doves became hawks and hawks stayed where they were and some people moved to the center. P- people aren't necessarily ingrained where they are. I think only one Esther George remained on the kind of hawkish and Mester moved towards the center. She was hawkish. I mean, I got to wait to see what the policy is to know where people are going to stand. But one thing we do know, which I think is a development worth talking about, is that I think Powell has control of this committee. This is policy that he supports. And the the, the committee is not in a place that, A, he doesn't support, and B, that he didn't lead it to. And I think he's engineered. Let's talk about what happened. We went from planned rate hikes to, well, now we're going to cut to three cuts to now on hold, all of that in a 12-month period. Uh, It's well to remember this time last year we had a 3% 10-year, and we had um, a forecast from the Fed itself that the funds rate would be 3% at the end of this year. Instead, cut it in half, 1.5%.
3: All right. Steve Leesman in D.C. Now it's been a long day for you, buddy. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks. All right. So with the Fed kind of seemingly out of the way for a while, what does it mean for stocks? We head to next year, Guy Adami, And also, how much of this year's pretty spectacular gains have been Fed induced this year? This how about year, the last
1: eight, nine years, I said this year? this year, I would say most of it, if not all of it. I mean, it's clearly not on earnings growth. Because you don't really have a lot of earnings growth. You don't have a lot of revenue growth. It's a lot on stock buybacks and the market's belief that somehow magically the Fed has their back. You know, I find it somewhat interesting that Paul Volcker passed away this week and basically around the same time that the Fed lost any remaining semblance of credibility they ever had. And I don't want to get up on the soapbox, but, you know, the Fed talks about inflation. They measure inflation everything ex inflation because if they really factored in inflation, it would far surpass any benchmark they had. But to answer your question, I mean, the market seems to want to go higher i still think president trump is going to pull the ripcord on these tariffs on saturday night because in his mind the chinese are weak they're vulnerable the stock markets at an all-time high i can step on their neck might cost me a month or so in the market but by you know february march i can turn this thing around sets up well for the election yeah so if you're hoping that things don't happen this weekend i'm not convinced they won't so-
5: Go that's, ahead. Well, that's that's the risk of this market. And I was surprised that the, the stock market wasn't higher today because you asked what's the impact on this. The Federal Reserve has had a very tough time, almost impossible time, creating the type of inflation that they want. But they're excellent at creating asset inflation. So that should be great for the stock market. So after today's reaction and they're telling you, hey, we're going to run the economy hotter, we want more inflation, you would think that equities would be much higher. But I think there's this trade war, trade tariff risk, Hanging over the market.
3: Why why would anybody buy stocks this week, Karen, when you've got not only the Sunday potential tariffs, which we're going to get to more with Kayla, because Peter Navarro, the trade guy in, in the Trump administration, wants to go ahead with the tariffs. You've got this election in the U.K. tomorrow as well, which could determine, again, the fate of Brexit. There's so much risk out there. Why put more risk on?
6: If you think, if you feel like there's a little bit of risk priced in for tariffs, right? I don't think people think there's zero risk of the tariffs being in in place on uh, Sunday. So I think there's that. And also, we've sort of managed to earn through tariffs. The market's higher. Even, you know, we had tariffs this summer. We had tariffs in in May. So ultimately, the market has been higher. I'm nervous. I think the VIX is up. I think that that's telling you that people are nervous. Fifteen, it hasn't been hovering around 15 for a while, so uh, I'm long and nervous and have protection.
7: Yeah, so I think there's a lot more downside risk right now than upside potential, so I'm, I'm nervous as well. I think there's nothing wrong with holding cash. I see no reason to put cash to work prior to next Monday. We need to see what happens here, right? I mean, in my opinion, tariffs either get delayed or they come into effect on december 15th there's not going to be a deal right um you know when, when we talk about the fed the fed did a great job this year right 25 percent uh the stock market's up this year the s p 500 but my concern is how much of 2020's performance did we pull forward into 2019 so now what's your own next question. year, mark five six percent maybe i mean mid single digits I, I think a lot of the upside of next year has already been pulled forward the Fed's off the table, so now what do you need to focus on? You need to focus on volatility surrounding the election. You need to focus on a trade deal. What are, when is it actually going to go into effect if we get one? Um, and you need to focus on the consumer, because the consumer's been the workhorse of this economy.
3: Well, let's bring in somebody maybe that can answer all who, those who questions. So, there we go. Added, we, we added a gentleman on the set, a well-known guy, Marco Kalonovic. He, he is the global head of macro, quantitative and derivative strategy, for JP Morgan Chase, so first to Mark's question, Marco, thank you, which is, have we stolen next year's gains this year?
8: No, I don't think so. Actually, if you look at the market performance last two years, I think market is up maybe 5% since January 2018. You know, like, so if it was not for this rally last month, we would have been basically down two years. Russell would be down. S&P would be basically X of utilities and, and, and bond products would be down. So I don't think we stole anything. You know, I think people say that we had a record rally this year. They don't say that in the last quarter we had the worst quarter sort of since 1929, which just bounced back in the first quarter, and basically market was exactly flat where it was like a sort of 18 months before that. So I don't think we stole anything. You know, I mean, certainly last month we had this uh, a bit of a melt-up. Um, you said uh, that sort of why would you deploy cash now before all these catalysts. So that means that many people probably think that way. So I think there is some upside. I don't think we stole anything. Some of it is certainly priced in. I mean, we, we had a good Fed and a little bit of Brexit. You, you remain
3: fairly optimistic, not wildly bullish, you're not screaming pound on the table, but you think the markets, the equity markets as a whole, will probably go up again next year a little bit.
8: Yes, we think it's going to go up a little bit when you look at when you talk about S&P, you know, and, and S&P is basically <coughs> has stuff which is expensive and has stuff which is cheap. We think it's going to be a bit of rotation, but globally sort of equities... Uh, outside of U.S., we, we think it, they can go higher. You know? So if you look at emerging market, even Japan, even Europe, um, and then specifically some of the sort of cyclical sectors, we have, uh, have a, quite a bit of a space.
1: So the Fed, since I think it was September 17th mm-hmm. or 11th or something, when overnight rates spiked to 10%, I mean, there is a, they've increased their balance sheet faster over the last couple months than they've done, I think, over the last 10 years. What's going on? I mean, what's going, what do they see that the rest of us don't see? Because what what, there's nothing normal... About what they're calling normal.
8: So certainly, we have a slowdown globally in manufacturing, as driven by the trade war. Um, still, there is a lot of uh, political uncertainty, and not just coming from U.S., but other parts of the U.S. Uh, they see that. I think they probably also recognize that they did over tighten in the second half of last year, specifically in December. I know Powell was saying that they would probably do the same thing, but December was the worst month since 1907 for various asset classes if you hike in that environment, I think they're a bit over-tightened. So I think they're sort of adjusting it back because of trade war. Uh, I think the, uh, the uncertainty is prompting central banks around the world to cut. So actually, if you look at it right now, number of central banks that are cutting versus, uh, versus hiking is, is near record. You know? So we do have something which looks a little bit like a synchronized monetary easing globally.
6: So, Mark, I think I read your notes, you had a 34.50 target, I think, for the end of next year. Do you get there on earnings growth, multiple? How do you get there?
8: So, so it's, it's, it's 34. And, and basically, uh, we do have a, a, a bit positive view on earnings on 180 uh, and EPS on S&P. That does assume that some of the tariffs will be rolled back, in you know, September. So the dialogue so far has been basically Chinese wa- want some rollback of the tariffs. US wants some concession on, on purchases and, and, and other stuff. So, we think that some progress will be made, which will include some partial rollback of Ethereum. So, that's why we're a little bit optimistic on, on the EPS. You know, so, as you said, that's why we're not really pounding the table for 3,400. But we do think sort of central bank easing, PMI is turning around globally. We think sort of cyclicals can catch up to defensives, value can catch up to momentum and growth, um, and, and high beta stocks can catch up to sort of quality stocks. So, that's sort of the view.
5: So, mark i'm curious is this kind of a, a first half view
8: and do things change as we approach the election so it is certainly a first half view because seasonally um uh, you do have uh, these type of moves happening typically early in the year um and and if we do get this phase one i think that will be the catalyst for for this second half of the year could become a little bit more tricky but we nonetheless think that sort of earn uh, the u.s elections are not going to be the massive risk um, we don't see big probability of sort of progressive left or, 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 extreme left candidate. Um, so we see it sort of more as, as a match of, of uh, Trump versus maybe. Sanders but but if you,
3: but if the, the risk might be doing nothing, and, mm-hmm. and I, I wish I'd asked for a chart of this. If you look at the markets for about a year and a half before the 2016 election, mm-hmm. the markets did nothing. Yeah. They did nothing. People literally for 15 months just kind of sat there and watched the election and wondered what happened because there was such a gross disparity between the two candidates. We have huge disparity now between some of the positions. And I do wonder, Marco, that if you're an investor, mm-hmm. you've made a pretty good amount of money over the last decade, Fed-induced or not, Guy Adami, you know, yeah. Why not just sort of sit out
8: and wait? So, so okay, I, 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 can, I, can, I can see your point. You know, I would just say that we do have a sort of Trump. Uh, Who wants to get reelected, and he knows that reelection chances are somewhat related to the fate of the market, you know, and and he has some bullets to spend, specifically on the trade. Uh, Basically, I think he can sort of uh, uh, put up some breaks out of the market to help his reelection prospects. So that could be one element, you know. Again, I would go back and you say, if you made a lot of money in the last two years, I'm not sure everybody made a lot of money in two years. Like, we had a very big swing, you know, from September to this. Uh, for, uh, t- ten years for sure. Yeah, the last ten years. But, yeah. but since you know, since since sort of the uh, last two years, you know, a lot of people are buying high, oh, selling low, flat and, 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 so you time yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So, so uh, but uh, look, we will certainly monitor election probabilities, how they evolve. Right now, we're not concerned as much about the left, far left candidate. If that sort of starts coming back in a in a game, we will probably turn a bit more, more cautious. Well,
3: if and when you do that, let us know, and we will get you back on one of the shows, right, BK? I
8: think so. Marko
3: Kalanovic, thank you very much. Thank you. Good stuff. Mark Tepper, Yep, you're out there, what they call them, swing states. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't want you to get political, but Ohio, Mm -hmm. where you're from, a very important state. Um, Any way to sort of read it vis-a-vis the markets?
7: To read it vis-a-vis the markets. Um, As far as the state of Ohio goes, I mean, you know, you got a bunch of blue collar people working their butts off, trying to save as much money as they can. Um, and what's happening there is they are very happy their portfolios have gone up. But at the same point in time, they're very, very skeptical of what next year brings ahead for us. Right. I mean, they are they're concerned about the election. I mean, that, that's first and foremost. Right. The election and trade are probably the number one and number two concerns that I hear from my clients in Ohio.
3: And you wonder, Guy Adami, if we get close and it looks like it's going to be Trump versus A centrist, or maybe a Mayor Pete, or a Michael Bloomberg, you know, although Bloomberg's chances are are minuscule, we get that. If it looks like the momentum is going more on the um, sort of progressive side, sort of more the taxing side, do you think we get a move?
1: I think Well, if it's more centrist, and if obviously President Trump is the Republican candidate, I think that's market positive on the margins, for sure. But, you know, these are stories that are going to play themselves out in the spring of next year. Oh, it's, hard, it's hard to game it now. And, I, listen, I understand what everybody's saying, and I understand sometimes you got to make this easy. And the easy thing is just ride the wave of the market. I get it, but there's, the warning signs are there. Newmont Mining, for example, first time it's closed about 40 bucks, I think, in the last four years or so. The gold market is trying to tell you something. The yield curve's... Flattening out again. I mean, all those things are out there. Nobody cares until they do. And I'm telling you something. That repo market stuff, which everybody says is not a big deal. Don't it's say temporary. everybody, my friend.
3: I, 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 we, we've, I've talked about Fair it. Fair enough. You know, shouldn't point say where everybody. people say, why do you keep bringing it up? Because it's because a big it's, deal. Because there's nothing yeah. wrong with it. And if there was nothing wrong, now, it's happened before. This is not, it, it has happened before. But it is unusual.
5: It's more than unusual. This year's different, too, because of Basel III, though. The, ba- the Basel III rules come in this year, so you haven't seen balance sheet bank balance sheets be constrained like this. So there is a difference year-end.
3: It's the bloodstream of the market.
1: Yeah. Fair to say? And, you, and you, what's that medicine you need to keep the blood flowing? I don't, you know, I don't want to get into great detail here, but that's what's going on. What is that medicine? I have no idea. <laughs> what's yeah. the medicine,
3: Guy? I don't know. All right. We are following developing story on the trade talks. This one? is one of the more unusual ones that we've had on in the last couple of days or weeks. Kayla Tausche in D.C. with the latest on, yeah, I don't know what to call it, Kayla.
9: Well, Brian, for the last few days, various members of the Trump administration have been sounding off on trade ahead of this December 15th deadline. But the resident White House hawk Peter Navarro is leaning on his fictional alter ego, which he calls Ron Vera, to disseminate a case that tariffs are good and a phase one deal is bad. In an email memo circulated on Monday, December 9th, obtained by CNBC and first reported by the New York Times, Ron Vera makes this contrarian argument that, quote, tariffs are working to defend economy and have had no negative impacts on growth or stock market rise. They spur growth by by improving net exports. And he also suggests the White House, quote, get uncertainty out of the market by announcing no deal until after the election, and ride the tariffs to victory. It's unclear why Navarro wanted these talking points out there, especially under the stage name of Ron Vera, and how widely he circulated this memo, the authenticity of which he confirmed to the New York Times. We reached out to Navarro and the White House for comment. Navarro, Navarro himself has been arguing upstream against this phase one deal since it was announced, Brian, but certainly now he's taking his case over email and sending out these arguments. Uh, as uh, his alter ego, Ron Vera, instead.
3: Some sort of jumbled up anagram yes. of his last name, obviously. I mean, do we... <laughs> right. Does he have another one? Mm-hmm. Is there like a third one, Kayla,
9: that you know of? Eat so far pay. as, yeah, so far as we know, uh, Ron Vero is the one that he leans on the most. He came under fire for this back in October when an Australian scholar realized that this character, Ron Vero, was appearing in many of Navarro's books, uh, and that he couldn't find this expert cited elsewhere. Uh, Navarro said it was an open secret, that he, it was essentially an inside joke that had spilled out into the open. Uh, but even after coming under fire for that and criticizing journalists for using their own anonymous sources, Why Navarro chose to lean on this identity again to disseminate this case is really perplexing.
3: A lot of perplexing (laughs) turns. Kayla Tausche, thank you very much for that uh, interesting story. You could do the anagram on his first (coughs) name and call it Tepper. Yeah, it's close. (laughs) Uh, Anybody got anything on this? I I don't understand
6: why he didn't use his name, right? By the way, you're one of the most powerful people in the
3: government. And you're advocating a right. very strong position on something you have said publicly many times. Yes, Yeah. exactly. It's like Guy Domi writing about the repo market problems under some... Adamus. So <laughs> what was the best picture in
1: 1991? I'll spare you the Google search. Big? It was Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. Remember, Hannibal Lecter was a fan of anagrams as well. Louis Friend. Benjamin Raspill lived
3: in Baltimore, but My, he may have lied. So maybe
1: Pete Navarro is watching too many Jodie Foster movies, because that is as lame as it gets. And I know he watches the show.
3: Lame. Lame. There you go. Male <laughs> anagram. All right. Earlier today, we heard from investor Jeff Gunlock. Here's what he had to say about any kind of a trade deal.
2: I've been uh, consistently stating that there will be no trade deal until the 2020 election. There's absolutely no reason for China to do a trade deal on the terms that the United States wants when there's an election coming up in less than a year, and potentially they could have somebody else that is more old school and wants the genie back in the bottle and would take the tariffs away.
3: BK? Well, I'll tell you. He's in there nodding. I assumed you had something to say. You know
5: what I've been nodding about is there's somebody on this desk who said this for about a year and a half. His name's Guy Adami. He has said consistently that you will not have any trade deal until after the election. And I think you have to, at least as an investor, plan for that now. I mean, we came with this phase one, which came out of nowhere. I don't see a lot of incentive, except for perhaps a weakening Chinese economy. That might be the catalyst to get them closer to the line. But it's, you know, we're a year away from from him, from the person saying we're getting close.
3: Guys get a lot of love, well-deserved tonight. True. I love you. All right. And number two, what Gunlock also said was that He had read some white paper, whatever, that basically the phase one deal, he called it phase point one because it wasn't like we're going to make a deal for you to buy soybeans. It's we're going to make a deal for you to maybe buy soybeans somewhere in the next few years. That even Mm -hmm. if there was a deal, it's nothing. It's right. I think there is an argument
5: to be made for for some certainty, though. It's right? a but,
3: step in the right direction.
7: Exactly. I, I do think there's going to be, be a deal, though. I mean, if you think about it, President Trump global approval deal rating. A or a small? small? Small deal. Something has to get done because President Trump's approval rating is directly correlated to any progress on the trade front. And as we near that election, I think he's got to get a deal done. China doesn't have as much incentive, right? So that, that's the Why issue. Why don't we, we're maybe we like.
3: just keep the tariffs at this level for the rest forever, right? I mean,. Chinese, their currency has gone down. Some of their suppliers are eating it. We're eating it a little bit. Consumer keeps chugging along. We'll see. All right, coming up. That's point. Yep. Sales up, stock down. Kind of sums up Lululemon right now, but it's been one heck of a moneymaker year for investors. We're going to dive into Lulu. And then perhaps the most confusing market story this year, Mm. oil up, oil stocks way down, plus a stat that will blow your collective minds. As always, we are live from the New York Times Square. And there is so much fast money right after this. Ben.
2: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
3: All right, welcome back to Fast Money. There is an earnings alert on Lululemon and shares of the retailer. They're down about 4.5% right now. And after hours, the back of those results. Let's get to Meg Terrell back at CNBC HQ, who apparently has changed her beat. She's now covering retail. Meg, we appreciate it.
10: Just uh, yoga pants, Brian. Mm. And by all descriptions, of course, this was a good quarter for Lululemon, a beat on both the top and bottom lines, as well as comparable sales that came in ahead of estimates. Now, the company's Q4 guidance was slightly light of what Wall Street was looking for. And analysts point out the stock's almost doubled year-to-date, perhaps describing why some is coming off in the after hours. Now, there's been, of course, a lot of focus on Lulu's men's offerings. CEO Calvin McDonald highlighting their contribution, among others, to growth in the quarter on the conference call just now.
3: Momentum continues in our pant category, in both men's and women's comps outperforming the overall chain. In addition,
8: we continue to expand the key categories of bras and outerwear, with comps and outerwear being particularly strong. And in men's, I'm proud that we increased our revenue 38% this quarter, which is the largest increase of the year.
10: And Lulu has laid out goals to double its men's business and its digital business and quadruple internationally by 2023. McDonald's saying the company will double its store base in China this year, telling analysts the company is, quote, only scratching the surface in China and Asia overall. He also took a moment to comment on the situation in Hong Kong, noting that they're monitoring events there closely and they've seen a minimal impact on the overall business. But note, it's been offset, guys, overall by the strength in the
6: region. Brian, back to you.
3: All right, Meg, Gerald Meg, thank you very much. Karen, 57 times trailing earnings. Stocks basically doubled this year. Any I know. There, well,
6: there was nothing wrong with this earnings. It's just, you know. It was pretty good. Yeah. It was pretty good Price for anybody else. It would but it has be, to be great. Yes. Well, And it was up $3 during the day. So it's only down net like, you know, 3%. I think, you know, expectations are just too high. If you look at the chart, it's been a rocket ship. A rocket ship. I think pulling back seven bucks isn't enough. That's uh, I'd want a, you know more of a discount to, to buy it here, but I don't know. That's It's just such impressive results when you consider the rest of the retail landscape. Okay. They're just crushing
3: it. All right. For more on Lululemon's results, you can head over to cbc.com. Meantime, here's what else is happening on the television. Mm.
5: Saudi Aramco made big waves when it hit the markets in Riyadh. But how does it affect the market for U.S. energy stocks? And later, pop stocks have burned through a quarter of their collective market cap this year. Will they light up again? Those stories and more when Fast Money returns.
11: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at Capella.edu.
3: All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Some pretty big news crossing within the last hour in the energy space. Long time Continental Resources CEO Harold Hamm will be stepping down. He's gonna remain at the company, though, however, as executive chairman, but not the CEO. Stock largely unchanged in the after hours on CLR, staying with energy. All right, let's show the celebration that happened overnight when Saudi Aramco made its long-awaited market debut in Riyadh. Mm -hmm. Reason to bell. There you go. There was reason to celebrate as well. Shares rose 10%. By the way, that's the daily limit, as much Mm. as they could in their first day of trading. And that move gave Aramco a market value of? Bell. Sit down or stand up. Nearly $1.9 trillion. Stop. That's $700 billion more than the valuation of Apple. But that's nothing. Take a look at this chart, okay? Saudi Aramco's market cap is now bigger by about a half a billion dollars than all the trillion. publicly traded U.S. oil and gas companies combined. Together, every oil and gas company is about $1.5 trillion. Karen? And Aramco's, nearly two. Of course, we know that Saudi Arabia wanted an even higher valuation than what it got. Is one company, is one of those stats, every, every company combined in American oil and gas, 204 of them, are worth $500 billion less than Aramco. Is one of those mispriced, Karen?
6: Or maybe both. I mean, maybe U.S. oil companies all together, collectively, should be trading higher. It, that is. Oh, the way, that includes
3: Exxon, Chevron. No, it's not just the little guys, because the it's, market cap's been crushed by debt. That's the problem.
6: Right. So, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're bullish and there's debt, then the U.S. oil companies, you would think, would outperform right? Relative to Saudi Aramco.
7: I mean, this is what, 4% of the S&P 500 now, the energy sector. I think in 2008, it might have been 13%. So it's, you've seen the market cap of these companies shrink relative to the S&P. And the energy sector overall has been a place since mid-2014 that you sent your money to die, right? I mean, the S&P has generated a total return since mid-2014 of positive 76-ish percent. And the XLE is down 30 yeah, percent over that right same a time frame. Of
3: decade of gains. Right. Exactly.
7: So, um, you know, I, I just I think this is a. Do it, you own, just, own any of them, Mark? Any reason to own any? <clears throat> I own Kinder Morgan. It's the only
3: one I own. Just taking that 5 percent yield.
7: Yeah. Right. I mean, you got heavy insider buying. What about so.
3: Enterprise Transfer Partners? Basically a Kinder Morgan clone, but trades at half the valuation. Some people would argue just because KMI, Kinder Morgan's in the S&P 500 and ETP is not.
7: Yeah, we prefer Kendra Morgan. Huge insider buying. Uh, we like their, uh, their exposure to the Permian. Uh, they're getting paid to move stuff, so yep. we like them. That's All right. We well,
3: Aramco's explosive IPO is a standalone in the sea of red for energy. Really, it's obviously, as Mark just said, worst performing sector of the year, worst performing of the decade. And check this out, though. This is unusual. A very interesting divergence is happening. This is crude oil versus the XOP, one of the bigger energy oil and gas ETFs. The XOP is down 20% this year. Crude oil, though, is up 30% this year. Normally, they trade together. Not so this year. Let's find out where this may go and get off the charts with Mark Newton of Newton Advisors. Mark. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, it's still
12: difficult to make a case for buying energy here. I know it's fashionable as you get into end of the year to think, okay, mean reversion, the sector has to snap back just because it's oversold. But you see the persistent downtrend that's been in place in XOP, down 20% this year, down over 50% from last September. So in order to at least have a little bit of hope, you really need to get up over $22. But really anything down under this would suggest that you could actually fall into the mid-teens. And so it's important to really put the charts into perspective and the price action. you look at a longer term chart just going back since 2016 where crude bottomed and this is substantial this is also right down near current levels and actually prices now are under this level so anything under 20 and i would argue that this actually can still go lower uh you know if we see signs of crude breaking out above 60 the production cuts if iraq falls through and actually starts to cut as planned if demand comes back crude starts to move up I think we can see a bounce in energy. I just don't see much technically that would suggest that it's there just yet. The downtrend has been very persistent. With that in mind, there are a few stocks that I would suggest that can be bought here. And I think you really have to be selective. Until we see that mean reversion snap back, it's tough to buy the laggards. You really have to stick with the stocks that have been strong. Phillips 66 is one of these. It's had a pretty persistent uptrend over the last six to eight months of this year. I know it's not a long time. Last September was where these former highs were. Now it's pulled back over the last few weeks right to a level that I actually like buying into this. So former highs should represent support, 105 to 110. You can buy this, think that it gets back to these highs near 123. The other one I like is Conoco Phillips. Okay, this also has shown some recent signs of actually improving of late. You've actually snapped this one-year downtrend. The stock is actually performing relatively better. Uh, you know, if anything... <laughs> It's a classic case of needing to be selective in this sector. Everybody wants to look at the Schlumbergers and the Halliburtons. Of course, the XLE has the rich dividend names. But, you know, in general, energy has been a tough place. And until we see signs of this snapping back, technically, you need to see a little bit of evidence. So it's still proper to avoid it.
3: Mark, are Arconico and PSX, Phillips are those those good-looking charts or are they just the best-looking charts in the terrible neighborhood of energy?
12: I would argue that both of these are some that you can buy. But, yes, within energy, these are really ones that, uh, that, that stand out. I mean, f- PSX would be one that I would personally put money to work, uh, 105 to 110. And, really, I would take a look yep. at Conoco as well. But, uh, you know, you have to have tight stops in a group like energy where, you know, any, any sign of, of, of failure, obviously with the production cuts and you start to see, you know, crude sell back off. And, and if anything, you know, that could affect the sector. So it's just been a difficult Difficult trade. Yeah, it really has.
3: Debt, 654 total billion dollars in gross debt across this space on $71 billion in net income, Guy Dom. You know the space cold, Brian I like Sullivan. Frenchies. I mean, if
1: the TV thing doesn't work out for you, I'm not suggesting that it won't. Well, 22 years later, I mean, you we'll could what be happen. in the energy space. You'd be killing it. you I'm have to look for Midland it. Midland wearing cowboy overalls hat. and a hat. Oh, I've done that. By the way, PSX, right. as listen, major double bottom at 83.5, and the chart just illustrated that. But you know what? This 122 level that we just failed at, that's where we topped out in August 2016. 105 is interesting. I actually think this trade's a little bit lower. You buy it, and not for any particular reason, other than it's a 50% retracement, yep. around $100 or so as well. Okay, so
3: as we talked about, debt is a huge story. Most of these companies have terrible credit ratings. They are junk or they are near junk. But... There are 6 stocks out there that are currently rated as A or better by S&P. Mm-hmm. Ready? Here you go. Exxon, it's AAA. Chevron, Schlumber's A, Halliburton, Baker Hughes and EOG. 6 with an A credit rating. That's yeah. it. At a 204. Well, about 150 a lot of out there. About 150 that are rated. Any of those you like?
5: So it's a longer-term play, but I like EOG. And it's not because it's oily, it's because it's gassy. Best I management think,
3: team in oil and gas says absolutely. every single person I talk to.
5: And I think if you're thinking about what do you buy, what do you buy low, sell high, natural gas for the long term. Next three to five years, you want to be in that space.
3: Okay. Thank you very much. Good discussion, Mark. Thank you. Fellow Hokey, by the way. All right. We are on Retail Watch. What to expect from Costco when they report their results tomorrow and later. Hot stocks, you know, they have been tough. Gone up in smoke. But there could be some new green for the space of the new year. Green, the kind that you could make. We are headed to Sin City. Come on. to talk. Yeah, we are, Guy. Not literally. We're going to do it on television. So we'll stay here. Fast Money is back in two. Let's take a look now at our Kramer cam. Now, Jim tonight is speaking with the CEO of cybersecurity company Palo Alto Networks. P-A-N-W you got to catch that full interview, of course. That's coming up at the top of the hour. Jim, Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern. We're back in two minutes. All right, welcome back. A retail sweetheart of the market is suddenly slumping just a bit. Mm. Costco stumbling, tripping, sliding, whatever you want to say. In tomorrow's earnings reports, down about 2% since mid-November. Not a disaster, but it's not up. But over in the options market, traders say that betting against Costco could cost you Mm. See what we did there? Danielle Shea of SimplerTrading.com joins us now to break down all the options action. Danielle, welcome. What are you seeing in the options market of Costco?
0: So looking at the options market of Costco, right now we're seeing a sizzle of about two and a half times calls versus put buyers. I think that's interesting, especially because, you know, we have Costco that's up 45% year to date, almost twice that of the the S&P. And so for me, I feel like that is what is causing retail traders to be so bullish going into this earnings report. However, normally Costco trades lower after earnings. So when you
3: look at that options imbalance, would you call it an imbalance? First off the two and a half times?
0: Yes, I would call it an imbalance. I'm not seeing really unusual options activity just because the activity is spread across a variety of strikes. It just seems to me a a bullish slant.
3: It, it is a bullish mm-hmm. land on Costco. We can see there, there's the implied versus sort of the average. Yes. You know, around the desk, and we'll come back to Daniel as well, Costco, you know, this has been a good stock until recently, Karen.
6: Mm-hmm. You want to dip
3: back in on any kind of weakness, or do you think that the run is done? You've made your money.
6: Well, just kind of looking at what you're saying, it would seem to me 3% volatility versus 4 average. You wouldn't be a seller of that straddle for tomorrow. You'd rather be a buyer, it sounds like. Well, you know, honestly, you for me. One I, way or the other.
0: Well, honestly, for me, I would rather wait until after the report because the last six out of eight quarters, it traded lower and then proceeded to rally to a new all time high. So I would actually rather not trade the report and wait and buy the dip.
3: So, really, the, the, the idea is don't take some big betting position into Costco hoping you're going to get some miracle on five pound tubs of mayonnaise. <laughs>
0: Well, potentially. But, I mean, if you look at the range, actually, I mean, you have a range between about a half a percent and eight and a half percent move. So you could potentially go with the straddle. But four of those times, four of the last eight quarters, it barely moved. So for that reason, I wouldn't stick with a straddle. What do you think, Guy?
1: I think she's on to something. The last four quarters, it's vacillated between up, down. Last Mm -hmm. quarter was down nine percent. The quarter before was up five percent. Stands to reason this is a quarter that it can rally. People are scared of valuation, but you know what? The stock has been impervious to that, so I'm on Danielle's team. And you know what the uh, definition of wishful thinking? You should go into Costco this weekend and check it out. It's the 80-year-old couple that goes in and buys like 40 rolls of toilet paper. I love that. It's fantastic. I mean, really. If I get to that point, which I probably won't, I'm just buying buy by the roll. You know what I'm saying?
3: <laughs> just saying. It's
1: a lot of fun, Costco. So
3: what you're saying is buy cash. By Kimberly Clark into the <laughs> that's, well, into that's the, your hedge into the, the clothes that's your hedge is what you're saying that or short Kimberly Clark I guess under guys doomsday scenario thank you you're welcome very much Danielle thank you very Again. much I'm sorry about I'm you're not sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry not sorry all right for more options action tune into our live show every Friday at 5:30 p.m. Eastern Time Right up next we're going to be talking hot stocks with who else Jane Wells at this year's largest marijuana business conference. Out in Las Vegas, you did a pot retail giant store, which is awesome. Now you're at a pot conference. Chain Wells, man, you're just lying.
13: Uh, okay, I mean, it, it beats working for a living. Uh, the buzz here, see what I did, is that will 2020 be any better than the awful year 2019 was? When we come back, the good, the bad, and the Christian? When Fast Money Returns.
3: All right, and welcome back. Well, Pox Talks, they've been taking a hit this year with names like Tilray down more than 70%. But despite talks in the industry bubble maybe bursting, some investors are still lighting into the space. We're going to get to Jane Wells, this year's largest marijuana business conference, which, of course, is in Las Vegas. Mm. Jane.
13: (laughs) Uh, Hey, Brian, let me show you the good and the bad. First, the good. Some companies are doing well, like Planet 13 Holdings. They own the largest uh, legal marijuana store in the world they are cash flow positive they have 3,000 customers a day All right, the bad how the big publicly traded companies have fared as the legal business model even in Canada just isn't rolling out as quickly as expected a veteran investor Danny Moses says expect more or some M&A next year see these companies issue new stock to try to gin up more cash and he says be a little cautious about this rush into hemp and the whole CBD craze
4: And I think one of the things in the uh, CBD market that still remains to be seen is, is there really CBD in the product? Um, And I think as you test some products that are out there, I would imagine you're going to find that there's not, whether that's intentional or not. But that's a whole other thing down the road. But uh, consumers should pay attention to that.
13: Now, meantime, it's the biggest MJ BizCon ever, over 35,000 people. And you never know who you're going to run into here. I mean, they let anyone in here.
7: I think a little bit of a reality check year over year. We were in such a different place last year, it was Dutch flowers. And and I think uh, the promise of 2019 is probably um, not the baseline for 2020, um, but I think build off of that for investors because you've actually shaken out a lot of dead wood.
13: And finally, just in time for Christmas, cannabis for Christians. As entrepreneurs search for new markets, here's a new one. A guy who used to be the head of original programming at MTV has a bunch of new cannabis ventures, including God's greenery. What
5: we found is that there's this wave of Christians that really view CBD as God's gift of healing as they look at taking control of their health and wellness journey.
13: Okay, up next, no lie, he says he's been approached about kosher cannabis. Ryan?
3: Kosher cannabis. Okay, I like it. Um Jane, here's a quick question. Um, is there any actual pot at the marijuana business conference?
13: <laughs> no, you can't have it in here. Actually, we saw a dog, a drug sniffing dog here this morning at the conference. <laughs> Let me give you an idea though. Uh, well, it he came up empty. Look at these plants back here. So since you can't bring actual marijuana in here when they show off the growing products, uh, they have to bring in regular garden plants to do it. So yeah, no no pot in here smelled a little of it outside but nothing inside
3: very i can't imagine that in, Nevada, but not in here yeah it wouldn't be a little bit busy i mean just people walking who knows jane wells thank you very much great stuff all right so we should note you just saw tim seymour and of course as you know he's all in on cannabis you can read all of his disclosures on our website all right what is your take on the pot stocks heading into next year, BK.
5: They actually look somewhat interesting. Me, I think, you know, to the, to the point that you had this big bubble and, and it's now Boston, you're starting to see some of the kind of the, the froth go out of it. You look at something like a canopy growth and how that has traded recently, starts to tell me that maybe some investors are taking shots here. The issue you have, obviously, is they're not earning money quite yet, and the regulatory change has taken a lot longer than I expected. But if you're looking to get into the space for the longer term, I think canopy growth at these levels is not a bad place to dip your toe in.
7: So I think after a 70-ish percent pullback, valuations are much more reasonable right now. So I, I tend to like the multi-state operators. So Green Thumb is, is my favorite are in you're the am still space. talking about
3: m- not most states. I mean, what is correct? 16? I think it's... Legal and a number may be off, but you're not buying a product that is legally available in most states. Correct.
7: Yeah. So, I mean, Green Thumb, they operate in 12 states right now. They've got over 100 licenses. They're only utilizing 25-ish of those licenses. So they can easily quadruple revenues over the next few years without additional legalization. Of the 12 states they're in, five to six are likely going to be approved for full
3: adult use over the next two
7: years. So I think there's pretty good potential there.
3: Okay. there you go. So if that last story is leaving you with a case of the munchies Perhaps up next, we're going to talk pot-bellied and how this is an interesting story. One of their executives is leaving to go to a gym company, pot-bellied to a gym company. You can't make it up. We're going to explain when Fast Money returns. Real story. All right. Welcome back to Fast Money. Is your New Year's resolution fewer sandwiches and more gym? Well, you might not be alone, kind of. Potbelly CFO Tom Fitzgerald is leaving the company to join the Planet Fitness management team. So in classic fast money fashion, would you rather Potbelly guy or Planet Fitness?
1: Every day of the week, Planet Fitness. We are a nation now of people that are... They live a lifestyle that's not particularly healthy. Get your rear ends into the gym, folks. Get out of the pot belly. I'm sure it's excellent sandwiches. And get into that Planet Fitness, by the way, which is up from $55 to current levels. Big valuation, but I think it makes a push towards the $80
7: level that we saw a year or so ago. To pl- answer your question, Planet Fitness. Yeah, well, so I, I, agree. I, I agree. Planet Fitness as well. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we, we really like the whole health and wellness theme over the course of the next decade uh... obviously potbelly doesn't fit planet fitness does the issue i have with planet fitness is it is expensive but i do like the subscription-based recurring revenue
3: and Yeah, like how bk and i are sucking in our guts yeah. the <laughs> peppers <laughs> all skinny so we're like hey i can't talk because i'm yeah. sucking in it so much all right it is time now for our final trade let's go around the horn bk burger king Yes. What's up? so listen
5: fed today said they want higher inflation if you think the bond market has it wrong then you buy tbt
7: short box mm. Mark? Broadcom, been bullish on it for a while. Semis are breaking out. Broadcom's going to follow. It's a relative value play here.
3: Okay, Broadcom. Karen? Farker.
6: Yes, I like Ulta. Uh, I think, you know, still have growth at a reasonable price. I know it took a hit recently, um, but I, I, not a hit. What jumped up recently, but then pulled back a little bit. I like Ulta.
3: Okay, guide. On. You're a large, tall man. You're not, you're a, you're perfect. If I was a granimal, I'd be like the rhino or whatever that is. The hippo.
1: hippo. Are there hippos? How many badgers? You know, Newmont Mining, by the way, is at levels we haven't seen, as I mentioned, any yet Yep. Got to go. See you tomorrow.
11: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.